0: Doherty how they play it, boy they really sway it. <laughs> Welcome to episode 103 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany
1: Lombas. And we
0: are recording in Brittany's apartment in Town, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. Yes, indeed. It's been a very long time since we've been in here.
1: Yeah, it has. I kind of like forgot the charm of this like tiny apartment. And, you know, having my dog hang out in the background doing things weird shit
0: yeah right now she's going to town on a giant cow bone it's
1: a cow leg bone (laughs) it's disgusting and it's on all my sheets but i really don't care (laughs) oh no
0: (laughs) well we had a lot of group episodes leading up to this which is why we haven't been here in a while yes and things have gotten even busier since then because we just had mardi gras and then like two days later french film fest started
1: i don't know how you're doing it
0: I literally just left the Britannia. I just watched a movie about like a fashion designer, like a documentary.
1: Ooh. And then
0: I uh, ate a quick dinner and came right over. So, yeah, it's been a very busy week for me. <laughs> and a big part of that was we had our fourth year of Crew Divine. Yes. Which was, you know, what, five of us dressed up like Divine and walking around the French Quarter on Mardi Gras Day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you think that went this year?
1: I don't know. Every year I'm like, this was the best year. And this year I've, I feel like it was the best year, too. Just because, like, there were, like, a lot more people, like, that came up to us and was like, yes, I was hoping you guys would be out here again. Or, like, people who were quoting, you know, things that weren't just pink flamingos to us. Yeah. It was just this bizarre world kind of just opened up that I didn't know existed in New Orleans. It it was awesome.
0: I found that second part a little intimidating, like... You know, it put all this effort into, like, gathering snacks and, like, getting a look together. Right. And then when we got out there, it felt like I I had done all the work. And then people were, like, reciting, basically, like, chunks of, like, screenplays at us. I was like, oh, yeah, people were kind of expecting us to, like, perform these lines back at them. And my mind was just not that sharp because I was partying. I was so tired. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And I was like, yeah, filthy. Go eat shit. (laughs) Like, it was a response to everything. (laughs) I know, like, especially, like, when people would, like, you know... Start saying a line and expect you to kind of finish it. Where I'm yeah. like, God, I feel so dumb, but I'm I've been wasted for like days, right? Right? right. <laughs> I don't even know my name at this point. I had
0: no idea other people were that sharp. And also, I feel like they came maybe from an earlier era where like people rewatched movies mm-hmm. more often than we do now. Like, you might watch Pink Flamingos three times in a night. Where like, right? I feel like now I uh I seek out new movies instead of rewatching the same I feel movies. like.
1: I, you know, and I really thought of that because, like, for years, I would just, like, my weekends and my movie time was just always dedicated to, like, you know, female trouble, pink flamingos, probably polyester more than anything. Yeah. And since, like, Swamp Flicks came into my life, like, it just opened up these, like, new doors where I'm like, oh, you know, I want to explore movies more. I really like movies. Where I still have this like appreciation for these John Waters films that like nothing can ever touch. But I don't watch them as heavily as I kind of used to, I think. I mean, I still watch them a lot, but not as much as I used to.
0: Anytime they're on the big screen. They are. It's always better than they are at home. Like watching with an audience is always like electric. Uh, So I I don't miss those.
1: And I think, you know, you're absolutely right about that. Because at the time where I was watching them so much, I was living with my cousin and his boyfriend. And that was our thing. Just like watching them all the time together because it was so much fun. Yeah. And now it's like me and my dog, which it's still fun. Um, and my cat. I always forget about him, but he enjoys the <laughs> film as well. Um, <laughs> filthy movies for Hermes. But yeah, I, it, it's a different experience when you're watching with people. We should have, like, John Waters movie nights or something. I think so. I think that'd be fun. Like, keeping Crew Divine going out throughout the year. Mm-hmm. That's a cool idea. That
0: also sounds like more work, which is uh, something I w- want to avoid a little bit. Because, like... <sighs>
1: yeah. <laughs> anytime
0: you organize something that specific, like, it like spirals out and stops being a hobby. Yeah. I know.
1: That's why, like, I, w- I wish I had, like, a bigger place. Because I'm like, we could all, like, sit Indian-style on my floor mm-hmm. and, you know, watch these movies, but... Yeah.
0: Well, if you don't mind me saying so, uh, <laughs> your look this year was exquisite. Thank you. <laughs> you had this like teased out white wig and you did like a disco divine.
1: Which I've been wanting to do for a very long time. And I think I was so, like I was scared of doing it because I'm like, if I don't perfect this, then I'm going to be so pissed off at myself because this is what I really, really want to do. And like, it just came together like all of a sudden and... I loved it. I felt so powerful. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know. I just felt like another person. You looked
0: damn accurate is how I would put it. Like, you were like a vision from the album cover. Like, <laughs> stepped out of the, yes. the uh, sleeve. Yeah, it was great.
1: I kind of wished that I would have prepped some, like, lip singing moments for, like, I'm so beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be an easy thing to learn if people are, like, quoting stuff. We could, like, just sing the songs. Totally. You and I used to sing Tim and Eric songs on Mardi Gras Day. Yes. Uh, it'd be a lot easier <laughs> to just switch over to Divine. You switch it up to, like, yeah. shoot your shot over and exactly.
1: over again. But, yeah. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun this year. Our throws were, like, dynamite. CC made these, like, amazing prayer cards that, like, I'm still not over how amazing they are. Yeah.
0: Actually, I'll link those and pictures from the day in the notes for this episode in case people yes. are curious what our divine looks were like this year
1: yes they were good a lot and a lot of people complimented them you know i kind of like creeped on like you know people taking pictures from mardi gras and stuff and we showed up muriel's
0: i saw that posted us yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) this really fancy restaurant in the french quarter
0: (laughs) i actually went to this like group brunch thing at muriel's on the (laughs) uh bacchus sunday nice and it was kind of purposeful because we stand pretty close to there every year right so we were like having cocktails on the balcony like looking at the spot where we go for mardi gras And the brunch ended at, like, 6 p.m. that day. It was the longest, like, interaction I've had with other people in, like, the longest time. (laughs) Sounds exhausting. Uh, Yeah, that was, like, one of the biggest indulgences I had the whole season.
1: (laughs) Well, they love us at Ariel, apparently. apparently.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on top of all the Mardi Gras madness, have you been watching any other movies lately? Have you had time? Have you had the energy?
1: So, while not watching all of my delicious trash TV that I can never give up... I have watched like two notable films. The first one I do want to talk about is La Cienga, which translates to The Swamp. And it's this Argentine movie that came out in 2001. Did not know what I was getting into watching it. I love going into movies like that where I'm just like, I'll throw it on. And if I don't like it within the first like 10 minutes, I'll find something else. Well, I really liked it. It's a film that kind of has this very observant, lens over this bourgeois family in Argentina they are like at this crumbling summer home type mansion where they're you know vacationing and wasting away like they're so like rich that they're bored but it's this decaying mansion like this nasty ass swimming pool with like cloudy you know blue green water and leaves and shit in it and they're just like lounging by it like completely wasted on wine like passed out and like smoking and just like not doing anything just a bunch of sloth going on in this whole (laughs) whole place well the film just like just follows this family like nothing too insane happens you know it just kind of feels like you're creeping on this group of people and you're watching them for a couple like a a week or so but there are some cool things that do happen other than just watching them you know not do shit
0: suffer on (laughs) we yes yeah they're just like bored with their wealth
1: Um, yeah it's like another one of those like um you know rich people are pretty weird type movies yeah the mother of the family is, like, kind of wasted, and she trips by the pool, by the nasty pool, and all of her crystal glasses break, her wine, crystal wine glasses, and she falls on it and gets herself all cut, and she's just, like, bleeding out, and she's, like, an alcoholic, so her blood's pretty thin, and um no one cares enough to get up to help her oh god (laughs) (laughs) but she does survive and you know she just gets like a couple of scars and scratches but she's sort of like bedridden for the remainder of the summer and there's something that i love about like these like bedridden psycho bitty type women bitching at everyone like you know she sits in her bed and like you know yells at the help and is like get the phone get the phone or you're still in my towels
0: it's like the bed's like a command station
1: oh it's awesome so i love that it's so ridiculous and of course as we've mentioned the bajillion times in this podcast there are some weird hints of incest in this movie of course anytime you have like rich people in a movie there's gonna be some incest it's like a rich person thing i'm assuming it was
0: a big part of um the shunt Society. Society, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, they're not like society rich people. It's like Argentina rich. So it's not like they're full of this like glitz and glam and everything. It's just sort of like they were on the top. And as times change, like they're not on the top anymore. And just watching how that style of society where, you know, you're a wealthy family and you have help and things of that sort and how that's not really a thing anymore. And, you know, one of the maids is like, yeah, I'm leaving so you can find someone else to help you. I have to go h- do stuff with my sister mm. and just leaves. And then, you know, they're like, what the hell? What are we going to do without you? Right. You know, like little things like that happen. And it's a film by a female director, too. And this was like her first like debut film. And her name is Lucretia Martel. Oh, I like her. Yeah. There you go. She has yeah. a movie
0: called Zama. That's really weird. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I, I saw that and I did not watch it. But it's <laughs> on my list. Yeah. So I really liked it. Have you ever seen
0: um, The Exterminating Angel? Mm-mm. Uh, it's, like, this Bunuel film from the 60s. I think Ooh, you might dig it.
1: The Exterminating Angel. Yeah,
0: it's, like, this group of rich people meet for this dinner, and they go into this, like, you know, fancy dining room to have dinner. And yeah. And then they just can't leave. Like, every time they try to exit the dining room, they just get drawn back into it. It's this, like, supernatural thing that's never explained. Yeah. Uh, and over time, they, like, start to, like, turn on each other become more and more, like, savage. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah. has that same kind of, like, just people just sort of, like, stewing in their own wealth and, like falling apart kind of thing love that kind of stuff yeah just
1: like yeah we're talking so many movies like that like the queen of versailles we we're talking about it earlier. yeah for sure that kind of crap love it so yeah it was very good another movie that i watched with which also has like a a mean old rich lady stuck in a bed <laughs> <laughs> a bedridden old bitch sorry wrong number okay from 1948 so it's this film noir starring barbara Stanwyck. And she is this amazing, like, super wealthy, spoiled brat that is bedridden for a disease that she, like, doesn't really have. Um, so that makes it even better. And her husband is Burt Lancaster. So two big old, you know, old Hollywood film stars in this movie. It's awesome. So she's, like, you know, in her bed with this illness that, like, no one understands, and she gets a phone call. And this is like back in the day where, you know, lines would get twisted and um she overhears somebody plotting a murder. And she's like, you know, in this very gaudy bedroom with a window, open window, looking over like the Brooklyn Bridge and her like Manhattan apartment. And she's like, Oh no, I wouldn't there's gonna be a murder.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: and she's like losing her mind, trying to call the police and all this kind of stuff, and then like through these like very minor phone calls, this story gets like told where it's actually dealing with her and her husband and this like bizarre, like, you know, prescription drug operation that he got himself into, um, with the use of like her family's, um, drug empire. And it's awesome. Um, there's like a lot of like flashbacks. Like we never really leave the bedroom for the most part. There are certain scenes within the present time where, we're not in the bedroom with this woman, but a lot of times we are and most of the scenes are just flashbacks and it all goes back to her in her bed. It's just funny to me where, you know, I, I'm i like, you know, she gets up and puts this like full face of makeup on and has this like vintage gorgeous looking like, you know, Parisian nightgown and, you know, is pouring water from like um, a crystal decanter into another crystal mm-hmm. glass. <laughs> and like you know passing out because of of her bizarre sickness it's great i loved the there were like a lot of scenes that were heavily focused on these like shadows appearing prior to like this huge event happening nice which i love that kind of shit so yeah good movie what about you brian then what have you been watching
0: well the real answer is i've been watching a lot of french movies at the britannia (laughs) for like the solid week Mm,
1: how classy but
0: like the next episode we're gonna do is like all coverage from that festival so I, I, l-
1: I look forward to the French film episode of the Flicks podcast every year so I'm excited
0: there is one you're gonna love we'll yes. uh, just spoil that real quick but um it's called deerskin and it stars Jean de
1: I love him
0: and it's very much like in fabric like he becomes obsessed with this deerskin jacket <laughs> oh. and his obsession with it oh, makes goodness. him turn to a life of crime where he's like killing people Right in. You're gonna love it. I'm gonna see
1: it immediately. Did I ever tell you that I have like a com- like a Pinterest board that's just Jean de Jardin like smoking cigarettes? I think we covered that Did on our uh, that? best of the decade Oof. episode recently. I, know, I was looking at it one night before I was going to bed. I'm like, so great.
0: So okay, between that and like Mardi Gras, I've had a lot of time to catch up with stuff. Mm-hmm. But we do have a movie of the month coming up for David Burns' film True Stories, yes, which might be up around the time this is posted and David Byrne's kind of having a moment right now I just watched him on SNL the other day
1: yeah I thought that was so bizarre how like I haven't heard anything that he's been doing like mm-hmm. as of late and we like watch this movie he's like on our brains and then he hosts like SNL and isn't he, didn't he host it Um, or he was on it on like leap day yeah yeah weird Very odd. even weird and Weirder.
0: he was performing um, stage pieces from his show American Utopia which played mm. here at Jazz Fest a few years ago and I was so happy watching that that I cried while oh, dancing, oh, wow. which was like a you know like a really weird bodily response to something <laughs> like that. But yeah, he's just been like on my mind a lot lately. And usually for movie of the month, I'll watch like other movies on that theme. So I watched a couple in the lead up. But one of the movies I watched was an earlier concert film. Uh, that American Utopia tour will have a documentary directed by Spike Lee that's coming out this later oh, wow. this year, which is pretty cool. And it's obviously like a follow up to the Talking Heads documentary "Stop Making Sense," which is directed by Jonathan Demme, who, who is also or Demi—I don't, I don't pronounce his name really—but uh, mm. he's also you know kind of overqualified for the the task. I rewatched "Stop Making Sense" while we were crafting, like we were getting like Mardi Gras throws and supplies together, and we just kind of threw it on the TV.
1: Nice. Um,
0: and I've seen it a bunch of times, but it was like impossible to keep my eyes off of it. Like I was supposed to be like. You know, using it as, like, background fodder while I, like, you know, put the finishing touches on hot gluing things together.
1: Crew Divine, we do, like, a lot of intricate crafting. Right. So (laughs) it had to have been really good.
0: And, yeah, I just kept looking up and just watching this weird man gyrate his body and, like... I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but... No. The kind of gimmick of it is it, like, starts with, like, a boombox on stage and then David Byrne comes out and plays, like guitar to that metronome and then tina weymouth who's like the bassist of the band comes out and joins him Then the drummer comes out and then like by the end of the concert there's like 20 people on stage like it just sort of like gradually accumulates this big giant Ooh, talking Heads sound and it's also part of um speaking in tongues they're promoting that album on the tour which is like my favorite talking heads record so it's just like a joyous concert film and probably the best concert film ever made that's really? not even that bold of a statement i think a was lot of people better would agree than with that. abba the movie oh yes by far yes okay. there's no uh throwaway country western radio djs to <laughs> deal with. yeah
1: since we've watched true stories it's like sparked that like talking heads interest because like i never was like an obsessed not obsessive but like i never like was like fuck yes talking heads let me like get every album and like do all this research on them i just kind of like liked like maybe 10 or 15 songs like growing up and then when i was in college at uno i took a new orleans music history class and our teacher like pulled david byrne whenever she could into like all of our lessons because like apparently he's like heavily influenced by like mardi gras indian callback that makes and sense yeah. stuff like that and he has like a like a big connection to like new orleans music which i was like really surprised about and then i kind of delved into his life a little bit then and then since then i just haven't been back into it and i feel like i'm going back into it they
0: don't have a bad album and i would say they're probably their first five or six are like all-time greatest rock and roll records of all time like there's no bad place to start even though the Stop Making Sense movie is promoting Speaking in Tongues, uh-huh. it has a bunch of songs from all their, like, 80s records. Okay. And the uh, the one they did in the late 70s, the self-titled one. Cool. So, that's actually a great place to start. And it's on Sounds Amazon good. Prime.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: So, it's easy to access. So, yeah, I'm recommending a movie that everyone already loves in the scene. Uh, but I, it's really good. Um, and the other one I watched, because I was trying to think, like, David Byrne in True Stories, he's, like, approaching these very simple American characters with this like weird outsider lens where he's like, showing them at f- these like oddities. And I was trying to think of what other movie does that in a similar way. It's very hard to come up with that because mm-hmm. his brain is so specific. Yeah. His like point of view is, it's just very David Byrne. Like, there's no one else who could make that movie but him. It
1: kind of gave me vibes of, from the Shock Treatment movie.
0: The Rocky Horror uh, sequel.
1: Which like isn't, but it's right. is supposed to be. Because it's like, you know, it takes place in this world that exists in this, like, wholesome American television studio with these, like, you know, like, wholesome, like, 1950s style, like, American commercials and TV shows and things like that. It's very sterile. And there's some weird music to go along with it, too. So I kind of get that. Yeah.
0: Well, the route I went was with a Disney film um, (gasps) directed by David Lynch called The Straight Story. Wait, what? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, like the opening credit scroll of the film is like, Walt Disney Pictures presents a David Lynch film. When did this
1: movie come out?
0: Uh, the late 90s. Like I think in 98. How did I miss this? I don't know. Well, okay, so it's a based on a true story, and it's about this man who is ill. He's old, and he finds out that his brother is also ill, so he decides to go... Um, visit him before it's too late. He's going to go mend the wounds of this, like, falling out with his brother. Mm. And to do so, he rides a John Deere tractor, like, across state lines for, like, hundreds of miles. Oh, wow. And it's just very similar to True Stories in that it's just these very simple everyday American people Mm -hmm. that David Lynch films the way he always films his like eccentrics, you know, like it's very like twin peaks in like how people just simply speaking is just so odd. Um, and because it's a Walt Disney picture and not like his usual, like art horror there's nothing but these eccentric people like it sucks all the atmosphere and horror out of it so that all that's on the screen is just these like very quietly strange people which is also terrifying yeah yeah and like sissy spacek in particular in this movie is like really <gasps> oh she's alarming. in that movie yeah oh
1: she's so good at those types of roles yeah
0: um wow. she plays his like daughter who like has been traumatized by something and she be- can barely speak a sentence she like chokes out these like words uh, as she's like trying to ask simple questions in the same way as true stories, uh, it takes this like interest in everyday Americans in this like abstracted way, yeah, which I think is a rare thing to find in movies. I didn't like it as much as True Stories. I think True Stories is like it was an instant love for me. Like watching it, I was like, oh my god, this is like a masterpiece. Yeah,
1: I think like when the movie was over with, you were like, this is probably one of the best movie of the months I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> I still think that it was, it's a good movie. But I mean, the novelty of David Lynch making a uh, Disney movie alone is like enough good lord reason to, like give straight story a shot And like you know?
1: any disney movie that came out like a live action film in like the 90s was bizarre so yeah i'm gonna be into that i'll watch it
0: well we're gonna talk about another live action disney movie later today uh mm. i will not be as nice yes, to it <laughs> we'll see like we'll, we'll see indeed <laughs> our general topic today is women in disguise as men uh for various reasons um we're gonna start with the drama and then yes. we move on to two comedies and all that's coming up to you right, right now.
1: Papa, can you hear me?
0: Papa, can you see me? Papa, can you find me in the night? Papa, are you near me? Papa, can you hear me?
1: Papa, can you help me?
0: And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And it was Brittany's turn to pick a movie for this episode. What did
1: you make me watch? So I have been wanting us to like watch this movie either for like a movie of the month or like throw it on the podcast for a very long time. So I'm very excited. Um, But I made Brandon watch Yentl which is a film that has been co-written, co-produced, and directed by the amazing Miss Barbara Streisand, who I love so very much. I think this movie does encompass like all of her talents so well, like her acting, her talent of writing and directing and singing. She sings every song in this movie, so she's like constantly showcasing her you know, amazing vocals. It's like Olympic singing. Like, she hits these, like, ridiculous notes and, like, sustains them.
0: She doesn't quit. Nope. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So she's so fucking good singing in this movie. Another individual that we all love that stars in this film is Mr. Mandy Patinkin. And I'm really surprised that, like, he didn't have a duet with her in this film because he sings very, very well. Google Mandy Patinkin over the He's Rainbow. like a Broadway star, right? Yeah, he's super talented musically. And this was after she did A Star
0: Is Born, which had a lot of, like, male duets in it.
1: When she wrote Yentl, you know, she was afraid to put her name to it because she received so much criticism from A Star Is Born so maybe that has something to do with it. Like, I feel like she thought that it was going to ruin her career. Like, or A Star is Born was, like, going to end her career. And just the fact that she bounced back with Yentl, which, like, won a shit ton of awards. It's, like, one of the best movies of all time, I think. Yentl, played by a beautiful young Barbra Streisand, lives in Old Town, Poland. I want to say, like, in the, the 20th century.
0: Yeah, it's, like, 1900 something early she
1: is single lives with her father and her father is a teacher of the talmud which is a sacred text of judaism i'm not quite familiar with it i think i got it i
0: think the torah yes is like the hebrew bible so it's like based on the old testament to our christian understanding of that Um. and the talmud is a series of texts that debates and argues and interprets what is in the Torah. Okay. Uh, and it's, like, written by, like, a bunch of, like, famous rabbis who are basically, like, philosophers of, like, Jewish tradition. I had no idea. Yeah. This was a learning experience for me. I just wasn't sure if, like, Talmud and Torah were, like, the same thing and just I was, like, terms assuming
1: it was a piece of it. No. But what you're saying makes more sense. I, like, thought it was, like, like you know, like, the Old Testament itself. And that's the version. Torah. And okay. And
0: I, I think in this movie that becomes very, like, important just because a lot of the dialogue is students of the Talmud right. arguing different points and, like, actively debating what it means. Gotcha. With their professors and with old rabbi quotes and, like, with each other and, yeah. There's, just like, a lot of the back-and-forth intellectual play of this movie. That makes sense. It's kind of interesting because, like, I feel like Christianity the way I was raised, I was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I'm not Catholic anymore, but... The way I was raised was just, like, that is what God said, and it's set in stone, and you just follow it, and that's it. And then this is, like, a more active, like, engagement with the sacred texts and, like sort of actively interpreting it and like trying to pull meaning from it. And it's just very different from how I was raised with religion. I think
1: part of me just like, Oh, I guess they're just studying this like one part of the Torah or something. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, I guess people talk about the Bible all the time. Yeah. I mean, I grew up cat, you know, Catholic to like church every Sunday, but like I couldn't tell you anything from right. the Bible. I just never paid attention. I would just look at the stained glass and try to figure out why Jesus was naked a lot.
0: And it's honestly pretty easy to ignore those discussions in this movie. Yeah. If you don't want to engage with it, it can be something that doesn't affect the plot.
1: Yeah. The movie opens up where you just hear storybooks for women, sacred books for men, storybooks for women, sacred books for men over and over again. Because there's a book salesman who's like, you know, towing his load of books throughout the little town. And Yentel's like sneaking to the, the sacred book side because, you know, her dad teaches this and she has a very close relationship with her father and he's like sneaking, teaching her, you know, these sacred religious texts and she has this like big thirst for knowledge and if women partake in this, they're almost seen as demonic.
0: Oh, explicitly so. They say like a woman who studies Talmud is a demon.
1: Right. So I thought that the relationship that Yentel has with her father is just... Very beautiful. I'm just the first thing I thought of was like, if Yentl was in our modern times, she would not be one of those girls with daddy issues that have to, you know, write daddy on their butt with their like sweatpants and all that crazy stuff that's going on nowadays. (laughs) You know, we need more Yentl fathers. (laughs) And she, you know, she lives alone with him and she's, you know, not interested in getting married and having children, which is very bizarre for a woman in this time period in you know, her faith and her community. And um, unfortunately, her father passes away and, you know, she does some readings at his funeral, which people are like, holy shit, what is she doing? Make a stop. And she keeps going, which was pretty neat. And she is just at this point in her life where she wants to honor her father. She wants to pursue her mission to, you know, to learn so the only way that she's able to do that is to disguise herself as a man, which she does. She cuts her hair, bandages her her breast, and presents herself as Anshul, named after her like late brother that um, had passed. So she joins this group of guys who are studying these same religious texts. They you know, sort of go off, you know, to learn, I guess, like, sort of like this, not like a mission, but... It's like Bible
0: school. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the Torah instead.
1: It's Torah school. But, but
0: they're bas- they're studying Talmud is, like, how, how it's framed. Right. I want to say it's called Yeshiva, but now I have to look it up. That
1: sounds legit.
0: So, uh, Yeshiva is a Jewish educational institution that focuses on the study of traditional religious texts. So, yeah, she goes into Yeshiva.
1: Yeshiva! And I almost
0: want to say the movie was based on a song in a play called Yentl the Yeshiva Boy.
1: Yeah, glad that you mentioned that because Barbara, her dad died when she was very young and she always wanted this like fabulous relationship with a father and being a Jewish woman, she connected with that play and that's why you know she was like fascinated with the story and wanted to write it. And it took her a while to get anyone to, like, buy into this idea, too, so.
0: And she gives Yentl a much better ending than uh, he gets in the play.
1: Yes, studying Yeshiva, she meets Avigdor, Mr. Mandy Patankin, And he kind of takes on Anshul, a.k.a. Yentl, like this little brother, because his brother is has passed on. And they get very close and they have like this really great bond. It doesn't seem very romantic. At least to me, it didn't feel very romantic oh, for a I good while. with that. Okay. Like, I don't know. Like, at first I was like, oh, this like beautiful friendship is forming. And then there's this part where they're playing like tag or something. And then they're looking in each other's eyes. And then like Avigdor like runs off and like takes off all his clothes immediately after. And I was like, oh my God, he got like so hot from that moment with Anshul that he like had to go jump in the lake neck. oh
0: yeah legitimately yeah and then that makes Anshul so hot that he has to run home to go masturbate alone <laughs> with his unbinded breasts with a,
1: with a beautiful song
0: oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's basically a song about being horny for the first time mm-hmm. and not knowing what that feels like which is great and the uh the line i wrote down was flowing inside me as a river of surprise which is such a great <laughs> poetic interpretation of what being horny feels like yeah
1: <laughs> Yes, indeed.
0: And the camera is all over Mandy Patinkin's body. Like, oh. hairy legs, buttocks. You can
1: see the hair out of his asshole, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I saw it. It was in a shadow. The only thing <laughs> it doesn't
0: show is his dong, and it gets pretty close.
1: Yeah, might as well. Yeah. I mean, we all can get, like, a gist of what it looks like. <laughs> At that point, like, the romance was sold. And I was like, all right, they're totally into each other. And then, as time progresses, Anshul meets Hadass. Who is Mandy Patinkin's fiance? Fiance, and she's just like very quiet, and she scares the piss out of me. I don't know if it's like the frizzy hair and the big eyes or something, but she's very sweet. She just looks scary to me.
0: She has kind of like a Catherine the Great energy <laughs> to her.
1: Some some energy <laughs> that I yeah. just like. Ugh. I love it, though. I love it. I don't want it to be, like, a negative thing. But, you know, he's in love with her, and he's planning on marrying her, and he he can't. Her family won't allow it because his brother committed suicide. So it's like, oh, you know, this family's tainted. Which I think
0: is somewhat legit in a way. Basically, their argument is, like, he has a a history of mental illness in his family. That's not the terminology they use. They're like, oh, the family's, like, wicked or cursed or whatever. Right. But they're like, I don't want my daughter's one chance to be happiness to be like with this man who their children might also have clinical depression and maybe kill themselves.
1: Right. They just said it in the 20th century way. Right. It, yeah. It was a
0: much crasser terms but like as someone who, you know, probably will definitely won't have children on purpose in my lifetime because I don't feel like I'm mentally equipped to do it. Like I kind of get that in a way. Maybe that's not right to say. You but. get
1: the fact? No, no. Nothing's wrong. Yeah, I get I mean I get it. It's just very sad. I think it's even sadder that like obviously like she has some of those tendencies too because she just looks so sad the entire time in this movie. But he is so in love with her that he persuades Ashul to marry Hadass so that he can still be close with Hadass. So they actually get married and then they have this, you know, playful, beautiful friendship that does turn into Hadass actually getting feelings or Anshul, who is actually Yentel, And it's like, Yentel cares about Hadass. I don't know if it was like in a romantic way. Like, were you getting that? Yes. There's a lot of like, you know, you know, you got your father-daughter relationship. And you've got like your men and men relationship, even though it's really a woman being a man. But it's still like a, a male bond. And then females, even though it is a man, but should be a woman. You have that like femininity that exists within their relationship. It's just, it's so cool how it all plays out.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically she's transcending all these, like, social barriers and having yeah. these relationships that she would not be able to establish with people uh, because of her gender. Exactly. It requires a lot of lying, which is a, nice, but... Um, <laughs>
1: For good reason. But yeah,
0: she her, li- her freedom was limited without doing so. You know,
1: I was so surprised because I feel out of every movie that we watch that follows this theme, this is the the oldest one mm-hmm. and i feel like it was out of all of them it was like least afraid to be queer i agree which was so surprising to me and i think the one that is the most current one was so afraid of being gay
0: very agree
1: you know and i liked how that that's how it was like it wasn't like oh it's really a woman like being a man like it could have gone that route and it didn't and i love that it didn't it didn't feel very homophobic not at all Yentol is just it's beautiful do you have a higher appreciation for Barbara Streisand after watching this? That's hard
0: to say because I've always liked her. Like I don't have anything against her. I'm glad I finally saw this. I really liked it. It's I think it's by far the best movie we're talking about today. Yeah, and I think part of that is that it takes these relationships seriously. Yes, yes. A lot of these, like, cross-dressing farces where someone's, like, in disguise as another gender, part of what's so icky about them is that they're based on, like, deception and comedy. It's like, isn't it funny that this person is dressed as someone that they're not? Which... In this case, there is a lot of comedy in this movie, right? But I don't it want doesn't to say there's not too
1: much fun at that.
0: It doesn't really, other than just like her fretting about keeping her, you know, true identity under wraps. But also, what it really does that these comedies don't do is take seriously these relationships. Yeah, Yentl marries a woman in this movie. And as they bond over Yentl, like, secretly teaching her the Talmud and, like, teaching her about sex, um, sometimes the wrong things about sex, Yentl develops feelings for this person, and they're romantic, and she's like, I can't act on them, but I do have this, like, spark when I am intimate with this person. Right. Ditto her relationship with... Mandy Patinkin's character they're both presenting masculine and obviously there's like this like roughhousing like jovial quality to it I think like the first night they're together they sleep in the same bed like it's very direct about it and the reason I was kind of pushing back when you said that that romance doesn't spark up until um, they're sort of like wrestling in the field I think their intellectual back and forth is like heavily erotic in, like, a flirty kind of way. The first time they have that erotic tension is over their intellectual, like, banter over the Talmud. And I think what's so interesting about the movie is, like, all these characters have these, like, apparently same-sex, like, charges. Yeah. And they don't know what to do with that or even maybe aren't even aware that it's happening. And the way they, like, act out their frustration with not being able to act on it is by using other people as like an intermediary. The two men can't have sex based on how they understand sex. So they use this like future wife as like an intermediate part. Like, Oh, you should marry her. I know you'd be good at it. Like, uh, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like there's like this, like (laughs) cuckold. Yeah. There's a scene where like they're at the wedding and Manny Patekin's giving like a pep talk to Yentl, like in her ear, like basically telling her how to make love. And it's so erotic, and it's so genuinely like erotic that I feel like these comedies that came later and, and use the same premise, more or less, like A Woman in Disguise, you know, because being man affords you certain freedoms in the world. Like, I feel like they brush that stuff aside because it's uncomfortable and don't know what to do with it. Yeah. We'll talk about this a little later, but that's coming from a longer comedic tradition that, like, dates way earlier than any of this stuff. <laughs> but... Still, like, I think there's just something, like, very heartfelt and, like, straightforward and genuine about this movie that takes its theme seriously. Yeah. Uh, that you can't really do in a comedy, or at least comedies don't dare to do it. No, you're right. Uh, and I really appreciated that. I was just surprised by how, like... It's
1: so beautiful. Yeah, I was just,
0: like, really <laughs> invested in the three-way drama yes. between these characters. And you like all of them, and you want good things for all of them. Yeah. Even though Manny Patinkin has some, like, really deeply seated misogyny... Basically, Yentl's like, why aren't you interested in her day? Like, ask her what she's thinking. She's like, she's a woman. What could she be thinking? Who cares? Right. He doesn't know that he's been, like, intellectually sparring with a woman the entire movie. But I don't know. There's just, like, a very, like, direct engagement with that dynamic.
1: And I think, like, if we'd have a peek in what happens between, like, both him and Hadass when Yentl leaves, like, I wonder, and I do think that, like, Yentl revealing herself as a woman and him kind of probably reflecting on that, being like, wow, like this is a woman that I've had these conversations with. I think that's going to probably help his relationship with Hadas, especially now that she's shown interest in learning about these sacred texts. So I'm like, oh, I bet you like, you know, I always like to imagine what what goes on beyond what's filmed in this like fake world that's been created. And I'm like, you know, that probably enriched both of them, like Yentl's presence and what yentl gifted both of them
0: and i think this movie encourages that kind of thinking yeah uh because you know in the play yentl's like deception like curses him <laughs> and he like has to like live this like yentl. cursed life because of it but in the movie streisand changed it so that She's blessing him you know yentl's just going to america for like new opportunity right and like you said these like this new couple has been changed basically by being proven that women could do more than they've been conscripted to yes so yeah, I could see the two of them like talking Talmud Ugh. and as like pillow talk. Uh,
1: I know, getting horned up by it.
0: I think the movie like encourages that. It would have been great if they could have just lived as a thruple somewhere. Uh, that's like the 2010s. Uh, God, I or, know. I'm sorry, 2020s um, update to that. 2020s. I need to get they get used would, to that. They
1: would totally be a thruple, and I would love every minute of it. Yeah, I do have such an appreciation of this movie because of how like, you know, you can see all these characters through Barbara's lens and she's a very, you know, liberated woman and a lot of her messages come through in Yentl, which I love. Um, I haven't read any of her like biographies or autobiographies and things like that, but a lot of the times when she does talk about her career, Yentl is such a huge part of it because this is something that was such a major accomplishment for her as a woman and, you know, even, you know, talking about this film's like, you know, 14 million dollar budget was like something she was responsible for in creating this film and how like, you know, she got a lot of smack talk about it because, you know, a, a woman can't handle you know, keeping track of that much money and, like, actually budgeting and doing everything. So she had, like, you know, that's just one of the challenges that she had in making this movie and that she overcame and she she proved a lot to the naysayers. And
0: I think it took her 10 years to get this project together and yeah. she was, like, concerned that she was too old to play the character. And, yeah.
1: yeah, and she, she committed so much to it. Like, she studied, she threw herself into... We're doing the research for this movie for like 3 years, like 3 years of like this woman's life, which for Barbara Streisand like That's intense because this woman's doing so much and is, like, all over the place. And I don't know. I just, like, ugh. This makes me, like, love her even more. She's such, like, an amazing woman. And I have a couple of her coffee table decor books that I'm staring at right now.
0: (laughs) Do you have a favorite song from this movie or, like, any standout, like, musical moments?
1: I mean, I know it's typical, but Papa, Can You Hear Me? I think it's so powerful. And I think... At the moment where it happens is like you feel her sadness and her being scared to like, you know, like her dad, her person has just died and her life is going to be forever changed. And she's like becoming Anshul and she's about to go out on this journey. And it's just like you can really feel like her fear, you know, and, you know, asking for like guidance from her father spirit and all this shit. It's just so good. How about yourself?
0: I mean, the horny song.
1: The horn horny song. Yeah, I mean, I, one of my favorite aspects
0: of this movie is just like how genuine the eroticism is, and I think that's like the first big moment of it is like she sees Manny taken naked, runs home, takes like a long I gotta hot sing about bath, it. <laughs> basically masturbates uh, more or less, and you know her hair
1: does have more volume, right? Right? Say, <laughs> in that scene. She sensually unbinds in that like Gwyneth Paltrow kind of way. Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, I just I really liked that moment a lot and kind of like. I was already on the hook for the movie, but that moment I was like, oh yeah, this is good stuff.
1: Yes. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I love that we love this movie. All right. They got to look tougher. Very crucial. Something every guy does. Let me see you scratch your balls come on try it
0: yeah well maybe my balls don't itch all balls itch it's a fact so like i said the next two movies we're going to talk about on the same like women in disguise as men topic are both comedies the earlier one was from 1985 what was that
1: that would be just one of the guys god this movie i've like I saw, like, you know, when I was younger, like, on TBS or something like that. It was, like, one of those, like, daytime Saturday 80s flashback movies. That makes sense. Yeah. It really feels like it, too. In this film, we are following Terry. So Terry is this, like beautiful wealthy popular like high school girl and she really wants to be a reporter and she shows an interest in journalism and her school or her grade or class or whatever is having this contest for whoever writes this you know the best article is going to you know get an internship at like their local newspaper and she's like gunning for it so bad and she ends up not getting it and She doesn't know why. And then she kind of overhears like two teachers at her school, two male teachers, like just disgustingly talking about like high school women where they're like, hey, how about we flunk her for another year so we can look at her legs for, you know, even more like just disgusting shit. You know, then she pulls her paper out of her um, the folder on her teacher's desk And it just says good on it. And she's like, well, what was wrong with it? And he's like, oh, you know, you're pretty. You know, you should try and be a model instead. And she's like, well, I want to be a reporter. Then it gets in her head like, wow, they're not taking me seriously because of the way I look and the fact that I'm a woman. So I'm going to pretend to be a guy.
0: There's like a caveat to that in that she presents the same paper as a man to another outside source. Uh And they give her the same feedback. They're like... This isn't that interesting. It's like well written but it's kind of boring. Uh, which is <laughs> kind of it's a about funny about
1: like school lunch nutrition. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's kind of a funny twist.
1: Exactly. Well, part of me was just like I really think she just wanted to just like a
0: guy. Yeah, yeah, any excuse.
1: Which yeah, any excuse and it's like as so she she you know she cuts her hair and like looks like Ralph Macchio at the exactly end of the day. like Ralph Macchio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um she lives with her like horn dog younger brother who even refers to her like, What are you, Yentel? Oh, yeah, that was yeah. great. I that screamed great whenever surprise. that happened. Yeah. And, you know, his room is like full of like nude 80s Playboy, like centerfold shots and things of that sort. He's like constantly talking about like sex. And they're both living on their own because their parents are out of town for two weeks. For two, insane. Two weeks. <gasps> whoa two weeks will come up later as well oh shit (laughs) weird what's up with this two week situation well
0: i think that's because they're based in the same source material you are right yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) i never read it so i don't know (laughs) but so she takes on this male persona goes to a different school kind of so she could prove that she can like be a reporter but in this movie like i think she enjoys presenting herself as a male like More so than just to, like, write a paper and prove a point. She develops this whole, like, persona and new friends and new relationships. And I don't know, like, I feel like she really gets into being a guy. There were times in the movie where I was like, why is she doing this again? And I'm like, oh, because she wants to write this paper or something.
0: When she's, like, double dating and, like, making out with (laughs) Cheryl and Finn or, like, or just following (laughs) boys into the boys' room and, like, staring at them while they pee. Like, she definitely loses track of, like, why she started all this.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And she's just, like, fully committed for a different reason. There's a couple of, like... Fun, quirky scenes where she's like, oh, I have to dress like a girl real quick because my boyfriend's here. All she does is like volumize her hair a little (laughs) bit and like put her sweatshirt to one side. And then whenever her boyfriend leaves, she like flattens her hair out and like straightens up her sweatshirt and she's a boy again.
0: Yeah, and and I think part of, you know, what she's getting out of this experiment is that her boyfriend is treating her like a trophy wife, even though she's in high school still. Oh, God. And he's a college dick. He's so gross. Uh, And yeah, she's like, I'm more than that. And she thinks that presenting as a man will, you know, have people take her, like, (laughs) intelligence seriously.
1: Have you ever seen the movie um, Totally Awesome? No. It's a, a VH1 film. That is a spoof on all these 80s teen comedies that I was obsessed, obsessed with movie in high school. I rented it so much at movie gallery that they were like, you know, it's going to be for (laughs) sale (laughs) soon. But there's a character in there where it's like a blonde guy that like, you know, reminds me so much of her boyfriend. That's where I'm like, I wonder if there's like influence from him. And he wears like, you know, his sweater, like tied around his neck. And he's like, what's going on? New kid. (laughs)
0: Looks
1: like the new kids here. That
0: attitude. Well, this movie is like peak Reagan eighties high school. Like, Being rich means you're awesome.
1: Totally awesome.
0: The opening shot is her like sleeping in bed in in like skimpy panties. And There's like, can you believe that a girl this gorgeous could pass as a man?
1: Yeah, which, you know, I was surprised because this movie is filmed by a woman. And normally when women, from what I've seen with, you know, female directors who are filming movies about teenagers, most of the time, like they're more realistic. Okay, like they know what a teenager looks like and acts like yeah and i was surprised because i i didn't get that from here i'm like oh this f- almost feels like a dude would have filmed it well i mean in a weird way in like, a
0: certain respect she has to make her producers happy and are like oh yeah. we need some like swimsuit shots and like some like lingerie shots to like sell the trailer like she still has to deliver that i think you yeah. can see her taking this character seriously as more than like eye candy as the movie goes on it definitely starts from a place where you're like ogling her body a little bit though. Right. You still have to please your um the people who are funding your project. And uh, I just unfortunately have
1: to do put in my head that this was like in the eighties. Yeah, so. exactly.
0: It's basically like Teen Witch but smarter. Like it's like I
1: literally wrote that. <laughs> teen Witch vibes in my notebook. Part of that
0: is the goofy brother uh, character who like kind of steals the scenes that he Except
1: he's, in. he's like wants to have sex with people instead of eating a bunch of junk food. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very made for TV, too, because like a lot of those like PowerPoint slideshow scene transitions, and yeah, yeah, except there's like there's nudity in it, but it, it, like it's one like one TV eh. shot, yeah, and then like a bunch of naked women all over a wall, but yeah, yeah, and you're right. I guess I, I was just kind of expecting more where I'm like, okay, like the oogly, googly, you know, bikini shots, and then like there were certain comments that she would make where she would be like, her brother was like, hey, look at that chick. And she's like, oh, yeah. Like basically like calling her a slut. Yeah. Like kind of things like that happened that I was like, really? But you're right. Which is good because obviously there's a lot of progression. It means in that we yeah, would
0: be sad if we were the same as we were. But
1: I guess we I need to think like if a guy would have made it, how much worse it would have been? Maybe so. And, and I think even,
0: you know, this director has... I think her name is like, Lisa Gottlieb, Gottlieb or, or She something. has, yeah. like, her own shortcomings, too. Like, I think there's a lot of 80s homophobia in here that, yeah. like, uh, the brother referring to her as it. That whole prom scene where she's, like, exposed as a fraud, like, in
1: man's clothing. I don't know. There's some icky parts that haven't aged particularly well. There was, like, a, a moment between her and, like, her love interest. I think Rick is mm-hmm. his name. So, like, Rick is this the guy in school that, like is like super hot but like dorky and into like intellectual shit so he's not super hot or whatever she develops an interest in him and when she professes her love to him she doesn't reveal that she's a woman yet and he's like I get it you're gay like and I was surprised by like that too like it wasn't like oh you're a dude yeah like he kind of was like oh you're coming out that's fine we're friends kind of vibe to it but then she immediately is like no i'm a woman
0: he ruins all that goodwill like a few minutes later though um when he like exposes her to the whole school oh yeah because he's like mad at her it's not perfect right and i think that's worth like pointing out i think it's even shy about like rick is eventually attracted to her once she reveals that she's a woman whereas like yentl takes the like same-sex eroticism like seriously even though the characters are frustrated don't know why they're attracted to each other here rick never has those moments where he's like attracted to her when she's in ralph macho mode like he like waits until she's like (laughs) in full lady drag to like be like oh now you're hot Where like yentl was like a little more forward thinking in that way can we
1: talk about how much i hated rick's makeover because (laughs) like i thought he like looked okay Fine. before yeah. like oh yeah he's he's handsome and then he like has this makeover he's like I, we're gonna buy you new clothes and like blow out your hair and he looks like insane like he looks like ace ventura They're
0: like miami vice kind of thing yeah
1: oh it, he just looks awful and then he like speaks up against a school bully that likes to just put his gloves on and flip tables also <laughs>
0: the same bully from karate kid who beat up ralph macho a bunch shut up it. yeah <laughs> it's a fun connection
1: oh the blonde kid yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah
0: The funny thing about that makeover, though, is basically it's just like Rick's poor... And he wears Kmart clothes. We're going to go out and buy <laughs> well, him and like... Oh, and it really
1: probably was from Kmart right. because it was like 1985. We're going to go out
0: and buy him some like designer, like 80s Reagan era clothes to like update his <laughs> Let's look. Let's Reaganize this boy. Yeah, they just made him look wealthier was like the whole makeover process, which, yeah. you know, it didn't look particularly great. Plus, he looks older than everyone else at that school, which is kind of funny. Yeah,
1: he looks like, wow, wow you look like somebody's dad right. now <laughs> and everything you're doing is you weird. balding? <laughs> <laughs> look at that hairline. Other than all, like, I just kind of like, talked about the stuff I didn't like, but right, I like right. this movie. Like, I thought it was fun and in, in, like, that that it's, like, a 80s teen flick. And if you're into 80s teen movies, it delivers on all those levels. So I like that. It's very light, interesting to watch, dumb as shit. It's fun.
0: It's so easy to nitpick the ways this movie falls short, especially, right. like, politically. But, come on, it's so fun. And it's really funny. Like... It's very intelligently staged even though it has these like underlying problems and I wouldn't fault anyone for like being grossed out by it or like feeling like it's just like too icky to enjoy. But I just had a big smile on my face the whole time.
1: It was fun. Um, And I did like the Roth Machio look. I think, like, out of all the men pretending to be women type movies, like, um, Terry was the
0: cutest. I don't know. I'm kind of drawn to Yentl the Yeshiva boy, just because Mm -hmm. everyone in that movie wears my favorite hat that I wear all the time. They all wear the fiddler cap. I had, like, (laughs) three of those hats. I had, like, hat envy that whole movie.
1: You're going to be like, I need to be on show. Like, (laughs) that's Your, like, fashion sense is just going to be molded by Yentl moving forward. But, okay, so just one of the
0: guys. The movie it reminded me most of, I know we referenced Teen Witch earlier, but was Better Off Dead.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, Which is,
0: like, one of my favorite movies from that era. And I think it does the same thing where it's, like, it has this plot about this, like, woman in disguise as a man and, like, she has to, like, juggle all these different relationships and, you know, bounce back and forth from Very classic setup. And that is, like, structurally what's going on. But I feel like beat to beat, What really drives the story is just these, like, eccentric characters. Like, you have this guy who collects lizards. The reptile guy. Yeah. He's my favorite. And then you have these, like, other kids who are just, like, nerds who speak an alien language that no one (laughs) else speaks. And then the brother is just, like, a total fucking weirdo. I can't even describe him. He's just, like, a horny, like, mutant.
1: (laughs) I Uh, hate him, but I love him. She feels
0: the same way. She looks at him while he's talking, and she's, like, grossed out by the words that come out of his mouth, but she can't help but smile because he's, like, so amusing. Right. There's, like, quirky character humor to all these eccentric weirdos that the movie collects, (laughs) and I feel like that, for me, paves over any of, like, the problems I have with its premise.
1: And I will say that, like, the movie takes those quirky characters and like doesn't like almost makes them seem normal mm-hmm. like the guy with the lizard where he's like oh let me just take you know this this snake around my neck and feed it a rat and then you know she's at the table just kind of going oh weird instead of being like oh that's so disgusting like instead of making like a huge thing out of it they almost make these like quirky characters have some like some interesting like normalcy yeah <laughs> i love that
0: i think booksmart did that last year too
1: yeah and, like i almost wanted to rewatch watch yeah.
0: booksmart after just because like at first i was kind of not into it but as i grew to like the characters over the movie i was like oh i want to spend time with these kids again mm-hmm. and then the, maybe the best high school comedies are that like clueless yeah. has a little bit of that right
1: like, or they're not like spectacles they're just kind of
0: Yeah, like, the plot almost doesn't matter as much as just meeting these, like, very specific high school types that Mm. you recognize as, like, things that actually happen, even though they're all very outlandish.
1: Getting some true story vibes. It's kind of like how we (laughs) felt about the characters in true stories. They're just, like, bizarre and we love them. Maybe so, the difference
0: yeah. is that True Stories doesn't pretend that it needs a plot. Like, that one's entire plot is like, <laughs> we're going to have a talent show.
1: And it works.
0: Whereas this one is very sweaty in its plot. Like, the character's running around trying to juggle all these, like, different personas. God, I
1: know. I think, like, it, it just gave me a lot of, like, anxiety. Like, I'm like, is she going to bake it? And then I'm like, when's the big reveal going to happen? Right. <laughs> Why do I give a shit? <laughs>
0: So, Just One of the Guys was adapted from Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. Which
1: I've never read.
0: I don't know that I've read that one either. I'm just kind of, like, aware of it. (sighs) Yeah. It's one of his more, like, proliferated comedies, just because it has, like, this, like, farce where, like, there's cross-dressing and this and that going on. Especially, like... When the play was performed by all men on stage, it had that whole like Victor Victoria thing where Sweet. like, you know, it's a man dresses as a woman dresses as a man. <laughs> and the idea of adapting Shakespeare to high school comedies is kind of fun. Like we had a big burst of that kind of like literary adaptation in the 90s with like. 10 Things I Hate About You. All the Romeo and Juliet and Clueless stuff, and, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not Shakespeare, but yeah. Clueless isn't. Um, that's Emma. But.
1: Classic literature. Right, exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> and Twelfth Night, in particular, has been adapted to high school comedies twice, at least, since... Just one of the guys, uh, by Disney in particular, uh, once in this movie called Motorcrossed from the early 2000s, which yes. is straight to the Disney channel. Which I really enjoy. We could have done that today.
1: I just like it because that's like whenever like BMX and like dirt bikes were hot. Extreme sports. Extreme sports, yes.
0: And then a few years later, they had this live action movie called She's the Man. I chose that to watch this episode <laughs> mostly Damn it, because I was aware of it. Off the top of my head, I was like, oh, what, what are movies where this is, like, a similar premise? And I was just surprised while we were talking about it that you had never seen it.
1: I have not. It's a
0: mid-2000s live-action Disney film. I was just shocked that you, in particular, had not seen it for <laughs> Me some too. reason. too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Amanda Bynes is in it, and I was like, I love her, so... Okay, so why do we like Amanda Bynes? You don't remember her skits on the Amanda Show, Amanda See, Amanda Show? That was after and my all time. That, all that was
0: my time, I think.
1: All that where she you know she would like read her letters, and then the uh, I was obsessed with the Amanda Show, which was kind of like post all that mm-hmm. where it was like her own comedy show, and she it was so funny. Like they had cereal called Meatloaf Crunch, and it would turn the milk into gravy. <laughs>
0: After watching She's the Man, I doubt my memory of whether or not Amanda Bynes is funny.
1: So are you current on what's going on with Amanda Bynes right now?
0: No. I know she had this kind of like Lindsay Lohan spiraling out. It's
1: happening again. So like she has been like losing her mind on social media. Like she had this huge meltdown via Twitter a few years ago. And then she kind of like went to rehab or something and like got her shit together and then like now she's like got Instagram and she's doing videos and she has gotten two hearts tattooed on her face. Oh
0: no. Within like
1: the past month.
0: Baby, no. And
1: she's like, she's like, I just want to thank my fans. And like, it's just so sad because like her face, like she's gotten like massive injections in her cheeks and her lips and like just heart tattoos all over Mm. and like it's just going crazy. So... I want to blame She's the Man.
0: The story of the child star growing up in the public spotlight is rarely a pretty one.
1: It's so sad, but I love her. I feel like a lot of
0: ex-Disney stars in particular, like, spiral out pretty bad. Yeah. I think She's the Man is her, like, starring vehicle. Like, unless you happen to catch her on TV, this is, like, her big movie. And this is an era of, like, media that I missed, too. I was in college when this came out.
1: What year was this?
0: 2006.
1: okay. I was in high school. That's probably why I missed it, because this is when I was going through, like, my metal years, where I'm like, oh, stupid shit, but, like, secretly watching Crossroads when I got home and not telling my friends. Yeah.
0: I think I was, like, a pretentious college twerp who was like, what's the new Wes Anderson movie? It was probably my, like, main concern at the time. (laughs) So I missed this. I do remember vaguely that David Cross was in it, and I found that like fascinating. <laughs>
1: it's
0: and he needs to be in this movie because <laughs> Amanda Bynes <laughs> is trying to do this like overacting. Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, Pauly Shore, maybe Tom Green. That's like frantic overacting, like running yes. around like crazy. And she's just not equipped to do it. No. Like, it's exhausting to watch. This is, I think, the worst movie we've ever watched for this podcast. Maybe The Rabbit Test is...
1: I mean, I I didn't hate it. (laughs) Yeah, I figured you
0: might like it more than I did.
1: (laughs) I I think most of the reason why I like it is because of the soundtrack where I'm like, whoa, there's two All-American Reject songs and a song from the Veronica's. So I was into that.
0: This is like the uh, Avril Lavigne era of like mall punk, where it's like not even punk anymore. It's like reached this like new. uh, Yes. There's like a Sum 41 poster in the background. Yes. Where you can like
1: go to Hot Topic and get like a tie that you just like elastic band around your neck (laughs) to look like Avril.
0: Okay. After covering just one of the guys, I almost don't even feel like we need to talk about this entire movie. It's a very samey setup, except it's more explicit about its Shakespeare roots. It's weird. She's posing as her brother. Who is going to London for two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks again? Yeah, so it's like a very finite set of time. The movie keeps the Shakespeare names in a way. Just one of the guys doesn't. So her name's Viola. The brother's name is Sebastian. Whoa. So they lay on the Shakespeare I really heavily here. I did not know that. So if you watch just one of the guys, though, they don't care about that shit. I think the two mascots in that movie are called the Pearl Divers and the uh, the Sick. Beavers. Sick. Uh, so like, yeah. they're just having sex fun in that Filthy other movie. Shit. Uh, this movie is de-sexed. All of the, like, attractions are very safe and heteronormative and, like, yeah. not sexy. Like there's,
1: And the only time it mildly gets that way is whenever brother and sister expose themselves in public. Which is very, <laughs> Which like, is so...
0: shamey. It's like, oh, of course I can't be this other gender. This is what my genitals look, at my, look like. Look at my genitals. Yeah,
1: I will say, like, um, Amanda Bynes, a.k.a. Viola Hastings, her fucking accent in this movie mostly whenever in these like men, women pretending to be men roles they're like hey how's it going she's like ha i don't know like it's a weird like southern twang but like she's holding her breath the i think it's time.
0: worse than that i what think it's the most it? offensive thing in this movie she's talking black
1: is that what she's trying to do
0: it comes across that way to me
1: i thought she was like, like hey miss
0: thang she does this like affected like black macho accent what?
1: i was not picking up on that i was thinking like because of the debutante thing shit
0: i think her interpretation of what being a macho testosterone filled person is in this movie is i'm gonna pretend to do a black accent
1: holy shit and
0: it really upset me pick up on that it's not fun
1: i just thought i'm like why does she sound like a weird southern boy (laughs) damn it that sucks I
0: mean, maybe I'm, like, reading too much into it. No, you're Uh, probably
1: right. When things like that happen, I'm, like, always the last person to catch on to it. And then I'm like, damn it, Brittany. I mean, the movie's already
0: not funny enough, like... There's a scene where she's at, like, a debutante thing, and she's, like, chewing on a chicken leg, and it's supposed to be, like, the height of hilarity that she's doing in an inappropriate situation. like,
1: as if they would, like, give any debutante, like, that part of a chicken. Right. Like, it's so stupid. And she's, like, chewing, and then putting more food in her mouth, and then more food, and it's just falling out. It's, like, one of the grossest scenes. But, yeah, like, this movie's... Like, there are so many dumb moments where, like, she's talking to, like, her brother's girlfriend that she doesn't like and she's like hey give your brother my tell her brother call me and she's like what at 1-800 biatch like it's it's weird lines like that
0: girls with asses like mine don't date guys with faces like yours
1: burn it's so so bad and then like big thing in here is like the bizarre soccer moves yeah where like they're supposed so this movie is based on like like it matters, but like I skipped over the plot entirely because it doesn't matter. Well, okay, so the <laughs> does it? I the don't thing know.
0: that like binds all these movies together is that women are dressing as men so that they have the freedom to do things that they've been locked out of. Yentl wants to study the Talmud. Right. The Ralph Macchio character and just <laughs> one of the guys wants to be a journalist and he feels like he's not being taken seriously as a because he's a woman. Um, and then in this case, Amanda Bynes really wants to play soccer. And the girls' soccer team isn't taken seriously, so she wants to prove that she's just as good at playing she soccer as She has, like, the, the least
1: men. best reason to do what she's doing. This guy's like, hey, girls don't play soccer as good as boys. And she's like, I'll show them. And it's like, that's kind of her premise. But yeah, like the way they play soccer, like there'll be moments like at the end where there's this, like, you know, the big soccer game at the end of the film. They'll be like, hey, pass it to me. And then they're doing like kick flips and back flips. And I'm like, that's, I don't think some like people play soccer. Yeah. yeah. It's just like super show off y. And oh my God, Channing Tatum is in this movie. Not very good in it.
0: And he I is love so Channing horrible. Tatum. so horrible.
1: Me too. <laughs> So like I wanted him to be better, but I think you could tell he really didn't give a shit. (laughs) And I think that made me like him even more. But yeah, this movie he is just kinda like, Hey, I'm I'm this awkward jock. I'm I'm this awkward jock and you know, this is how I am and like that's like his vibe. And it's so horrible. It's so bad, but it's so entertaining. And they give him the
0: worst stuff to do. Like he has to do a bunch of gay panic humor where like, you know, she touches his like lower back a little too intimately while hugging him. And he's like, oh, a guy can't touch me there. And, like, right. the, that's the comic yeah. relief.
1: Yeah, like, and like I said earlier, like, this movie's so weird about how, like, homophobic it is. Yeah. And it's like, wait, when was it made? Like 2006. 2006, like, y'all, sh- no.
0: And then at the end, he has to give this, like, big speech from Shakespeare's play about greatness that, like, is, like, a direct quote. And it's, like, this weird monologue to come out of this, like, high school character. I don't it's know. It's very
1: strange. Yeah, I...
0: I don't have many positive things to say about it. Let me point out the two things I liked and okay. then we will defer to you. <laughs> David Cross being overqualified for this is kind of funny, and just it's <laughs> like, what is he doing here? Kind of way. He here? And he kind of like shows her how how it's done. He's hamming it up just as much as Amanda Bynes is, but he's like at least approaches being funny in a way that no one else in this movie does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this other sequence where she has a nightmare stress dream where her two worlds collide. uh She's like in her debutante ball gown playing soccer in her nightmare and getting it dirty, and that was fun. And Maybe it was like a uh everything else was so bland and unenjoyable that, <laughs> that the, like, was your most small glimpse moment. of a creative idea like <laughs> really stood out to me. But yeah. um other than that, I really have nothing positive <laughs> to say. Did you like any aspects of this movie? I like, thought it was
1: like inter- it was entertaining in like a nostalgic way where Amanda Bynes, her humor doesn't go past, like, the Amanda show. Like, that's how it all was. It was just, like, stupid, over-the-top shit that would make, like, a 10-year-old laugh. And seeing her doing that as she gets older in these types of movies is weird. But it, it was just, like, a fun little time capsule to watch. In no way do I think it's a good movie. But I think it's tolerable. And I didn't, like, hate. I didn't hate it entirely. I thought it was kind of, like, yeah, it's kind of Kind of interesting.
0: I found it deeply miserable, and I was like, "Why did I do this? <laughs> I should have like found something else." It's very much of its era, the same way the other two movies we talked yes. about today are. Even uh, I think Yentl, as a like early '80s <laughs> costume drama, feels a lot like Belzir the Cajun. Yeah, like, it has so, like a like, similar. Amadeus and, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Even that's of its era, the same as yes. other ones are. I think it was interesting, too, just, like, She's the Man made me um, appreciate just one of the guys more in retrospect. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that movie actually did handle a lot of these topics. A lot better. Not as bad as it could have. You're
1: right. No, absolutely. So they, I can cut the, just one of the guys way more slack. <laughs> right,
0: right. And pushing that a little further, I'd say, like, watching these comedies after Yentl made me appreciate Yentl more because it took the, like, implications of these, like, gender mix-up scenarios a little more seriously. Yes.
1: And it makes you really see, like, wow, that must have been difficult to do. Because, like, especially that mindset that, you know, uh, the world was in 1983 when Yentl was made. Like, it would have been very easy to make this stuff comical and poke fun at it. But it makes it very serious and heartfelt in a very interesting way.
0: All of these movies are dated in some way because, you know, gender divisions are continuing to break down none of them really address like trans maleness maybe gentle a little bit Mm -hmm. but there's a whole other like facet to how we think about gender now that even since 2006 I think has changed like dramatically and I wouldn't trust a Disney movie to update that conversation
1: (laughs) this conversation can just be like dead like I don't think any movie has to come out in the future
0: no we can let it we can let it go
1: because hopefully like women don't need to pretend to be men for any reason yeah
0: it's all about access to these like male privileges that they weren't able to access before right but yeah i think there'd be a lot more scrutiny on like cross-dressing comedy coming out today It would have to do a lot more of political legwork oh totally that these movies got away with um and i don't even think she's the man got away with it like no. i think the other two get away with it oh, a little, little more
1: 2006 sucked yeah yeah <laughs>
0: That was my main takeaway. I was like, I hate this era of pop media.
1: I like some of it, but like, it makes me reflect on how embarrassing I was as a human being.
0: That's how I feel about new Metal. So I'm glad we could uh, <laughs> <laughs> meet on the same page eventually. This is
1: like therapy, where like the right. more we talk about it, the easier <laughs> it is to come to terms with and talk about it. Well, if I was going to watch
0: any of these movies again... I think I could watch just one of the guys more often, even though I think Yentl's like the better movie. Oh, hell yeah. It just seems like a very easy, like, background movie.
1: Yeah, because like Yentel's very long and intricate, where you know, you need to pay attention to it. But like just one of the guys, you can just pop in and be like, whoa, look at this weird shit happening. Fun, right. fun 80s stuff.
0: And I hope I die before I ever see a single frame from She's the Man ever again. <laughs> okay. Uh.
1: Okay. <laughs> Well, it doesn't seem like Amanda (laughs) Bynes is going to be doing anything cool Uh, anytime soon. Poor lady. I don't feel
0: good about that either. I know.
1: Yeah. It's very sad, but got to support her in some way. And I feel like we supported her by like watching this film. I
0: gave it a genuine shot. I really did try to like it.
1: Yeah. But Uh. we did it for her.
0: (laughs) Well, next episode, we're switching gears dramatically (laughs) from She's the Man. We're talking about a lot of pretentious French art.
1: Ooh, something dignified. But yeah, I will say that I do love being a part of like the trashier episodes of the Swanflix podcast.
0: <laughs> I feel more comfortable. That might be your niche at this point too, because like James and Hanna are always pushing more towards that like sight and sound top one hundred uh, area,
1: which I do like to watch. But like when I talk about, it, I'm like, yeah, it was cool.
0: It was good. What do you want? It was
1: good. <laughs> but we could talk, I could talk about she's the man a little more. <laughs>
0: and uh like i said earlier check out the notes for this episode to look at yes. our crew divine pictures and to look at those beautiful prayer cards art. that cc made for this year pure uh, art which you can print and laminate yourself uh except put the full scan on there yes yes, yes. and we'll see you on a couple weeks that, all right bye me. everybody goodbye <laughs> <laughs>